Hi, welcome to Boema podcast. Boema is the Western Regional Component of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Boema podcasts are a benefit for Boema members to stay current on topic of interest to occupational and environmental medicine physicians. My name is Aisha Chaudhry, and I'm today's moderator. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Dr. Wema President, Dr. Rupali Bass. This is the third and the last series of this podcast. Dr. Das is a Senior Vice President and California Medical Director at the Zenith Insurance Company and Clinical Professor of Medicine at the UCSF Division of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. Dr. Das previously served as the Executive Medical Director of the California Division of Workers' Compensation and has held various leadership positions in environmental and occupational health at the California Department of Public Health and California EPA. She received her medical uh, degree from the University of Illinois, Chicago, completed her training in occupational and environmental medicine at UCSF, and a master's degree in public health from the University of California, Berkeley. She is both certified in internal medicine and preventive occupational medicine and is a fellow of American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine. She has served as chair of OMA's Education Committee and Legislative Committee and is a past walk chair. The WEMA Education Committee members involved in planning this session have no relevant financial uh, relationship to disclose. Dr. Das reports no conflict of interest. Welcome, Dr. Das. Thank you, Aisha. It's a pleasure to speak with you again. Dr. Das, as you know, that institutions' prioritization of physician well-being improves the quality of care delivered to patients. It increases the patient satisfaction and decreases the medical errors. Buema, as an institute, what are we doing for physical physician wellness? Thank you for this really important question, Aisha. It is critical that we address physician wellness and its, uh, its opposite or corollary physician burnout. This topic, of, of course, has received a lot of attention during the pandemic, but we recognized it as an issue of concern even before. Many factors contribute to burnout, including corporatization of medicine, decreased autonomy, increased administrative burden, the increasingly uh, uh, demanding pace of healthcare and the emotional burden that we all share of being responsible for people's lives. And uh, we mistakenly think that as doctors, we have to be perfect and others come first. Uh, but as physicians, we're no different than anyone else. We need to take care of ourselves before we can adequately take care of others. So. In answer to your question, I would put what WOMA is doing for physician wellness into three buckets, education, advocacy, and providing support. So education, as you know, is one of WOMA's main areas of focus. And you're doing this interview as part of the education committee and your committee, the education committee does a great job in choosing webinar topics of current relevance and making them free for members, which, which I think is a great service and promotes wellness by providing ready and free access to CME. And the topics 
what the committee chooses are, are great in providing tools to help providers practice high quality evidence-based medicine and reduce practice burdens. Also on the education front, for the past several years, at every annual Western annual um, Western Occupational Health Conference, sorry, or WALK, um, we have offered at least one session that directly addresses stress and promotes mental health in a variety of ways. This year, we have two such sessions. The first is a lunch session on women in medicine during the pandemic. It's not just for women, but the topic does, have, uh, does address women. And this session is part of what we call WOW, or Women of WOMA. Um, these sessions have become an annual tra tradition and acknowledge the specific stresses of women occupational environmental medicine positions and give them tools to thrive in the workplace. And of course, we understand men have stresses as well. The other session at WALK is leading with confidence in challenging situations, which is a topic that supports all of us. Second, advocacy. Advocating for physicians and patients is another focus area for WOMA, and there are a couple of ways that we advocate for physician wellness. One is the obvious one by supporting legislation and regulation that promotes the interests of our colleagues, whether they're occupational environmental medicine practitioners or work in other medical specialties. Another way we advocate is by promoting justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion or Jedi values within our organization and in our patients. And uh, we acknowledge that the diversity of our members um, is an asset. And we uh, acknowledge the diversity by providing education, by accepting and supporting people for who they are, and providing everyone a safe space for them to openly express their values. And finally, providing support, or I would call it camaraderie. We are a community and we welcome and provide a supportive environment for any occupational environmental medicine provider who wants to join. As anyone who's been to our annual conference knows, the walk is probably the most public example of Roma's warm welcome, but it's not the only example. Participating in our committees is a great way to meet like-minded professionals, share experiences, get friendly advice from people, who have faced similar professional and personal challenges and provides opportunities to learn about leadership and become a leader. And I myself have benefited from the leadership opportunities at WOMA. And I would say that has done a lot to promote my own wellness. So uh, I would say that knowing you have colleagues out there who care for you and will support you goes a long way to promote physician wellness. And WOMA does this in the three ways that I've described. And um, you know, I'm gonna look more into what other ways we can promote physician wellness um, because you asked me this great question. Thanks for raising the topic. Thank you, Dr. Das. Um, well, talking about the physician wellness, I heard that you love traveling. Tell us about your recent travel. I, I love that question, Aisha, because I do love to travel and it is definitely part of my wellness <laughs> strategies. Um, I love travel because it's a great way to learn about and immerse yourself in other cultures. 
and to experience other environments, not just the cultural environment, the physical environments that are different than what, where we live. And it expands our universe. Um, it allows us to learn about climate change um, and uh, you know, to learn about it in a practical way, not just read about it or study it um, in, in papers. And it's a great way to learn or practice another language, which is also one of my great interests. And I think if I hadn't gone into medicine, I might have become a linguist because I, I, I just love language and, and its construction. So practicing another language is another way to learn about other people. So I've taken two overseas trips this year. One was a trip to Italy that had been postponed during the pandemic. And this trip combined my love of hiking and eating because everyone knows that Italy has great food. But the other trip was more unique and from my bucket list. And this was a trip to the Galapagos. And I'll tell you a little bit about the Galapagos. The Galapagos is an archipelago of 18 main volcanic islands. It's located about 600 miles west of Ecuador. And although we know the islands for the marine wildlife and the birds, there are about 25,000 people who live on these islands. And the Galapagos are interesting from a historical perspective as well as a scientific perspective, not just a fun place to go, but they have some you know, substance behind them. So although it's known that they were inhabited since at least the 1500s, in this country, we probably know them best as the islands where the young naturalist Charles Darwin voyaged on the HMS Beagle in the late 1800s. The incredible wildlife on the Galapagos Islands, and in particular, the finches, uh, these little birds, as well as the giant land tortoises gave rise to Darwin's theory of evolution described in his book on the origin of species. And the islands are pretty remote, which is what makes them unique. You have to be on a ship to get to most of the islands. It could be a small private vessel or a cruise ship. And it really does feel like paradise. The animals are tame as they've had very few natural predators. And, and any predator actually would be a human or some animal introduced by a human like a cat. And you can walk right up to them. Although we are very respectful and, and listen to the naturalists who advise us to keep a distance. And because of the pandemic, we were not able to use scuba gear, but we snorkeled every day sometimes multiple times a day, and we saw incredible sea life. We saw the Galapagos penguin, which is the smallest South American penguin, and the only one to live near the equator. We saw sharks, rays, octopi, as well as land animals, giant iguanas, giant tortoises, and a wide um, variety of marine birds and finches. The geography was also really varied and unique and fascinating. And it was a delight to know that we crossed back and forth over the equator, even though we didn't realize when we crossed it, but we did go back and forth over it. So that was kind of cool. And I enjoyed this trip immensely because it combined several of my interests. It was a unique place. Learning about the natural world was fascinating. There was lots of outdoor activity and uh, it's really a photographer's dream. And I. I'm, I'm sort of an amateur photographer. I, I, I'm not great, but I learned a lot of techniques 
from my fellow travelers and the naturalists on board. So it was really um, something that, as I said, from my bucket list and one of the trips I'll remember for a very long time. Yes, Galapagos is on my bucket list too. Hopefully we'll travel someday there. Um, earlier so. on, yeah, um, maybe we can talk something about your photography career too at some point. Um, <laughs> oh, it's, it's not really a career, it's an interest and I hope to develop it when I'm not so busy doing medicine, but <laughs> yes, I, I do enjoy it. Awesome. Um, uh, Dr. Das, earlier on we were ta talking about your trip to Tanzania. It seems like very interesting. Do you, why do you think it is very special to you? What made it so special for you and special and memorable? Yeah, thank you for asking about this trip, Aisha. My trip to Z Tanzania indeed holds a very special place in my heart. Um, my husband and I traveled there with the intent to climb Mount Kilimanjaro after we read uh, the book, Classic Hikes of the World. Uh, it's actually a photography book. Um, why do we climb it? Well, Kili, as people know it, um, is the tallest freestanding mountain in the world and the highest point on the African continent. And it uh, rises 19,000 feet above the Serengeti, which is the uh, plains below it. Um, and unlike other mountains like Everest or McKinley, it's not technical. So you do have to train for it, but you, you can climb it without special technical gear or you know being highly skilled in climbing. In addition to that, the glacier on top is rapidly melting because of climate change and we wanted to get there before it was all gone. Uh, I learned a few things from that trip. First, while reaching the summit was really thrilling and I remember the day we reached the summit, being focused on reaching that goal for the year that I trained gave my life purpose. And it's almost like after I completed the trip, um, I didn't have, I, I needed to replace that with another goal. So having that goal was really important. And second, one of the biggest barriers to achieving a goal is in our heads. And I realized that during my training and during the climb, the biggest barrier to achieving our goals is called fear. And I had to overcome fear of training, fear of climbing, and fear of pushing forward. And I, I really do think that's a lesson for life that we can accomplish more than we ever thought we could by overcoming this barrier of fear in our heads. And so many barriers disappear when we um, act like we can do what we set out to do. So as I said, reaching the summit was an amazing experience. And the safari afterwards was beyond awesome. Uh, the animals were amazing. But really the best part of our trip was our interaction with the porters and the other people who helped us during the trip. So you can't, you have to use um, African porters or Tanz Tanzanian porters to climb Kili. You can't just go there and climb it on your own. Um, and they made our trip possible. Absolutely would be impossible without the incredibly hardworking porters carrying our gear, setting up our tents, cooking, doing everything for us to allow us to climb. And I would say there were three main lessons I learned from the fantastic team of porters. The first is to go slowly, step by step, and that helped us reach the summit. 
reaching the summit was not a race, just like life is not a race. You need to put one foot in front of the other and take the next step. Secondly, the porters uh, have a, a saying in their language, no problem. And saying no problem helped them get through the difficult situations. And I like to apply that um, to our lives. Saying no problem sometimes help you, helps you overcome a difficult situation. And finally, we can go further together. And uh, as I was saying, the porters helped us get to the top. We did it together. Um, going, and the Africans have another saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I, I really believe that that's, uh, I lived that during this trip and that was really valuable for me. Um, for anyone who wants to know more about it, I wrote a blog. This is, uh, I have no commercial interest in this whatsoever. It's free and um, it's, I, I make no money off of it. It's on Blogspot and it's called Climb Killy 2015. Um, it, that's when I climbed it, 2015. So it's old, but I did. I do have some things that are relevant to our profession because I talked about the occupational health hazards faced by these porters. Um, and, and so if you're interested, you can find it on the internet. But thank you for that question. Yes, definitely. I will. I, I'm, in fact, I was just about to Google it right now. <laughs> Um, well, congratulations on climbing the Mount Kilimanjaro. And um, just how did you had any issues um, climbing the ladder of success as a woman? Yeah, from climbing Kilimanjaro to the climbing the ladder of success. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say as a woman of color, I certainly have experienced barriers to professional advancement whether it's because I was female or because a person of color, I, I don't know. I was raised by my parents to aim very high professionally. Um, both my parents, I may have mentioned this in a prior interview with you, both my parents were medical professionals and academics, so I had great role models. Um, and they actually encouraged me to reach even higher than them. But at the same time, there were expectations of the way women are supposed to behave. Partly, these are expectations that are cultural from the South Asian culture in which I was raised, but also, and perhaps sometimes more so here in the U.S., um, you know, I think when we look around, we don't see a lot of, uh, or at least I didn't uh, during the time I was young, see a lot of very strong women leaders in politics and, and otherwise. And, and women have certain behavioral expectations and assertive or ambitious behavior has not traditionally been considered attractive or appropriate in women. Um, so I've been in occupational environmental medicine for 30 years now or over 30 years. And the situation has changed a great deal for the better. And over the past several years, there's been attention paid to the issue of gender discrimination, not just in occupational environmental medicine, but in medicine in general and in, you know, in professions in general. The glass ceiling and self-advocacy and advocating on behalf of our peers, other women is pretty much accepted, but it all, all was not necessarily overtly accepted in the past. So I, I would say, you know, when I was um, 
in training, I definitely saw women who are pregnant uh, encounter some discrimination. Women who are breastfeeding encounter barriers in the workplace. All of that, uh, much of that has changed now. Um, And I think it's also great that there are both informal and formal support groups to help women succeed in their careers. I I have to say that my work in state government did shield me a bit from barriers that women have faced in corporate or academic settings, which I think are much more probably uh, traditionally have been more uh, discriminatory. And although government is not completely immune to gender related inequities, advancement I think was more possible uh, for women and I was fortunate fortunate to see strong women in leadership positions. And I would say, you know, I was in public health and proportionately there are more women in public health than in say the private sector um, or in other um, medical specialties that are traditionally male, particularly orthopedic surgery, et cetera. Um, so I never felt completely isolated. But I think ironically, there might be more women in public health because it's a relatively poorly paid field of healthcare. And so the presence of more women may actually be a reflection of some of these aspects of gender stereotypes um, that we're trying to escape. I would say to the young women entering the field and aiming for leadership positions, aim high, be true to yourself. Don't take no for an answer. Look for female mentorship and female colleagues and be be kind. So being a a woman leader doesn't mean stepping on other people or being unkind. You can be kind and assertive and direct at the same time. And if you feel you are experiencing gender-based barriers, seek help from a network of professional colleagues and mentors. And, And finally, I would say be a mentor yourself. Pay it forward, pay it backwards. You know, provide mentorship to younger people, and not just women, but um, you know, other young men also deserve the mentorship of women. Thank, Thank you for you, asking Doc. that. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Val. Thank you so much. Um, obviously, Dr. Val, you you lead a very busy life. Your schedule is always full. What are your current activities? I want to know something that almost nobody, but maybe close friends or family would ever know about you. Okay. All right. I, uh, thank you for that question as well. Um, well, this year, you know, publicly, I've been very focused on WOMA uh, and you know, a lot of my free time uh, uh, or my working time has been devoted to WOMA, um, which is appropriate for a president of an organization Um, And I've been busy guiding the development of the strategic plan, working with our our great new association management company and um, ensuring that we are successful going forward. But aside from work, uh, and I do have a life outside of work, I'm I'm constantly on the move, except for, I would say the 30 minutes that I sit very still and meditate every morning. (laughs) Um, I love to garden whether it's taking care of my orchids or my vegetable garden. I've had an almost completely organic garden for over 25 years. I cook with um, and I preserve what I grow, a lot of it. 
I also love to eat good food and I'm so lucky to live where we have access to some of the best produce and chefs in the world. And I already told you I love the outdoors. So I, I try to hike or walk as much as possible near home and far away. And I do think it was speaking about one of the questions you asked me about earlier, physician wellness, not only is mental health important, but physical health is cr critical, crucial to mental health. And so I, um, I exercise moderately from Pilates to yoga to bar method. One of the things I guess people, a lot of people now don't know about me is that when I was young, I used to make a lot of my clothes um, from sewing to knitting and crocheting. These are skills I learned from my aunts and my grandmothers. I still have some of those pieces that I've made. Um, and I've made pieces for my family as well. And so I think creating my clothes when I was young, learning about fabrics uh, from sewing, learning about you know knitting and crocheting. And of course, my cultural heritage of fantastic textiles has contributed to my love of clothes and fashion even to this day. So I think people know that I like clothes, but um, a lot of people don't know that I used to make clothes when I was young. And uh, maybe someday I'll start doing that again, who knows? Oh yeah, that was a really a hidden secret. Thank you, Dr. Das. Um, Dr. Das, you work a lot on the JEDI committee, which is about the justice, equality, diversity, and inclusion. Um, tell us about your role in this committee. Sure, thank you for that. Uh, that is, uh, the JEDI committee is one of my real passions uh, in Walma and issues are a real passion of mine. Dr. Eric Wan and I started the JEDI committee in 2020. It was during the time of the international outrage sparked by the murder of George Floyd and so many other African-Americans over the years. Um, Dr. Wan and I are currently co-chairs of that committee. The work of the committee is important because it calls for us to look beyond superficial differences that divide us and that have resulted in unequal treatment and opportunity for some. It's important to note that the committee does not ignore differences, but acknowledges and honors them in, in the ways that we can. And we're always improving the ways that we acknowledge these differences. We're not perfect, but we are constantly looking to improve. Our goal is to infuse these values, the Jedi values, through, throughout all parts of Loma by including diverse individuals in leadership and decision-making while recognizing and addressing social barriers to care. And Jedi is really important to me for several reasons, personally. First, I am an immigrant. And I was born in India and my parents made sure that I maintained strong connections to my culture and my community as I grew up. And as an immigrant and a person of color, I remain acutely aware of the consequences of being different. I had to assimilate and hide parts of myself to succeed professionally and even socially in this country. Um, but, you know, uh, we are who we are inside, even if we uh, try to assimilate on the surface. Second, 
after the murder of George Floyd, when the Black Lives Matter movement blossomed across this country, I felt I really gained a much deeper understanding of what systemic racism is, how ingrained it is in this country. And I understood that terrible impacts it has had on African-Americans and the rest of society. And I felt compelled to do something about it. And, and that was, that really leads to the final aspect of why Jedi is important to me. Um, I really feel like I have a deep sense of justice. I don't know if it's because of the way I was raised when I saw inequities um, or very disparate standards of living in India or whether it's just something I was born with. Um, I do have a sense of justice. I feel that unless we address Jedi issues directly, both internally within Roma and in our work in the external environment outside of Roma, we are ignoring important parts of ourselves and our colleagues and our patients. We are a diverse nation and we really need to acknowledge it in order to create an equitable society. Every little thing we do helps to achieve that goal. And in the end, we become better people and better healthcare providers by pursuing our Jedi goals. You might think of Walma as being this little organization, but you know, with the butterfly effect, every little thing we do contributes to a better whole and we contribute to a better society. And that's what I hope to do by furthering Jedi within Walma and by extension outside Walma. Thank you, Dr. Das. I, I totally agree with this. Um, now coming back to your recent engagement, that is the Walk 2022. That is to be held in Napa, um, California from October 6th to 9th. The theme is Aspire and Advocate. Um, just related to your JEDI committee, what does Aspire and Advocate means to you? Tell me how does it relates to you and how does it relates to Walk? Thank you also for that question. And the, the full title of this year's conference uh, is, is a little longer. It doesn't appear on the logos, but it's Aspire and Advocate, the Pursuit of Environmental Medicine, Worker Health, and Public Health. This year's conference chair, Dr. Alia Khan, came up with this title, which I find very inspiring. The theme is really a reflection of our intentions to do two things, continually strive for educational excellence and clinical competence, while also advocating for workers, the environment and, and health equity. And of course, that latter part relates back to JEDI. At WOMA, we're constantly aspiring to be better and we would like our attendees to come to walk with that goal to become better educated and to aspire to be better practitioners. For me personally, I'm always aspiring to learn something new, whether it's you know, learning uh, something about um, my profession, uh, a professional topic, or learning something through travel and to be better in everything I do. And as you mentioned, the conference is in Napa, which has built a reputation as you know, an agricultural region, a wine growing region. It is the workers that are the backbone of the region and essential in keeping, in making this a world-class destination. They work in agriculture, planting, pruning, harvesting, transporting, 
and they work in the service industry, the restaurants, the hotels, and all the other businesses that make this a world-class area. We wanted to acknowledge those workers and to advocate for them by focusing part of our conference on their lives and their working conditions. These workers are often immigrant workers, low-wage workers, underserved, and we wanted to touch on some of the regulatory issues um, and also talk about how we might improve their working conditions. And so we do have some sessions that specifically talk about the hazards they face, like heat illness. And we have sessions that talk about immigrant workers and a session that addresses climate change, all very relevant to the theme of the conference and to the region, Napa. And finally, let's not forget the environment E in OEM and in WOMA. And I mentioned climate change as a topic and um, the conference, as I mentioned, will address this as well. And I think through education and advocacy, we can make uh, a difference. And that's really what the theme means. Yes, there's so much to talk to you, Dr. Dahl. Um, just one last question. Um, where do you see WEMA in the next five years from now? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And I've been thinking about that since I became president uh, in January. And so thinking about where we're going, uh, my focus, my main focus for this area, as I mentioned, has been to develop a strategic plan um, that will take us forward for the next three to five years. And we've laid out with the, with the engagement of a lot of talented and skilled folks, including you, Aisha, we've laid out five key areas to guide our work. Advocacy, education, engagement, equity, and sustainability. This is gonna keep us very busy and focused for the next five years. And um, some of our younger and emerging leaders have been involved in shaping the strategic thinking process. And I would include you in that and help us plan for the future. So I see them in five years, building on our great foundation and building and bringing new fresh ideas. I would like to see these young emerging leaders succeed in rising to higher levels of leadership in WOMA and put their stamp on the organization. And I'd like to see us building on the great history uh, that, that, we, that precedes us. I mean, when I look back, the things that have been done by prior generations of WOMA leaders, it's really amazing. And we continue to build on those achievements. Um, and I see also increasing diversity in membership and leadership with more people from currently underrepresented groups in, in the leadership pipeline. Part of our strategic plan calls on us to infuse genetic principles into every aspect of our organization. And I would like for our members to internalize these genetic concepts, to take these values back to their workplaces and to society. And finally, I would like to see occupational environmental medicine becoming more recognized by other medical specialties and by the public. Some of these are big dreams, but like climbing Kili, if we work together to overcome these barriers, we can accomplish these great things. 
Thank you for that question. Thank you, Dr. Daz. It was really a pleasure talking to you and um, looking forward towards the Walk 2022 in Napa from October 6th to 9th. Um, and I hope we all be um, we all be there and we'll see each other then after a long time. Thank you, Aisha. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and I look forward to seeing you and everyone listening to this podcast at Walk 2022 in Napa. Thank you, Dr. Doth. Thank you so much.